Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Essay Voices from the Field. Each week we aim to bring you the true stories of student affairs. Over the course of this podcast, we hope to bring you both voices that feel like they are telling your own story and those that bring you stories you've never heard before. The podcast with expert guests and practical advice. Get ready to learn and become the best higher ed professional you can be. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. I'm your host, Dr. Corliss Bennett, and I am so happy to have you here. This podcast is sponsored by NASPA. Today, I'm really excited to have a colleague and slash friend of mine in the field, uh, Dr. Anna Gonzalez. How are you today? I'm fine. Thanks, Corliss. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So you are at Harvey Mudd College. Tell us a little bit about your institution. Well, Harvey Mudd College is part of the Claremont Consortium. So it's one of the seven colleges in the Claremont Consortium. And it has approximately 890 undergraduate students. And it is STEM-based or STEM-focused. But it is a liberal arts school. A third of the classes that our students take um, have to be in the humanities. And so they are engineering majors, computer sciences, physics, biology, and they still have to take uh, humanities. So they're very well-rounded students. It's interesting uh, because I think there are some thoughts that Harvey Mudd, um, for example, would be predominantly, significantly male, um, but actually it is 49% female-identified students, um, a, sh- a shift and a change, and we can talk about that later if you want, from when I was a graduate student at Claremont Graduate University about 15, 20 years ago. And so c- kind of a, a big shift and change for us as well in that area. Harvey Mudd is ranked very high in terms of all of those, including being in the top three, top five undergraduate education for things like engineering, computer sciences, and so on. And I think that shift with the women, and I'm thinking it's due to just the push for more women to be in STEM fields. Correct. And, you know, I, I have to say that our president, the leadership, our faculty, our alumni have really, um, and our trustees, have all worked in concert together to, to really look at um, the importance of diversity and the impact of diversity both at Harvey Mudd and beyond. And so um, the commitment to to change that over the last 10, 12 years has been phenomenal. You said the undergrad population, is there a graduate population at Harvey Mudd? No, there isn't. And I often say that, I say undergrad, because a lot of STEM institutions, the highly ranked ones, for example, um, will have graduate education in there. So they'll connect it or tie it. And ours is purely undergrad students. So our students, our undergrad students really get to work with their faculty on research, on career development, and so on. If you're an undergrad student, I think you get that sense of faculty members who are engaged in teaching and wanting to teach their students. And wow, with that small of a number, do most of them live on campus? I'm sure they live nearby, but as far as is the campus housing pretty much full with that, with those students? Oh yeah, they are on campus. We're about 96% residential to 98%. They And they love it. Our residential life culture is, is fascinating. They're very proud of it. I tell people it's a little, it feels like a little bit like Hogwarts on steroids, but in a good way. So yeah. Right. Wow. Wow. And again, the, the fact that now that it's 49%, because I kind of remember back in the day, it was like barely 30 or something of right. women. Great. Now tell us just a little bit before we dive into the topic, your path to student affairs. How long have you been a m- member of NASA? 
Oh, gosh. I've been a member of NASPA since 1993, I think. So my first year um, when I started as a professional um, full-time job at the Cross-Cultural Center at UC Irvine. And so I joined NASPA. Didn't really know much about it other than my colleagues and mentors said, you have to join this. So I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and I joined and I found it to be really my first profession, my first and foremost professional home in student affairs. And so joined it, um, just did some volunteering initially. I didn't really get too involved until I went to Region 4 East when I moved to University of Illinois. So from UC Irvine, um, but the Cross-Cultural Center all the way to becoming director and associate dean of students at UC Irvine, I moved to become the associate vice chancellor at the University of Illinois. Um, and that's how I became involved, really with NASPA, served on the regional board, chaired the conference, and, and kind of skyrocketed both in my involvement there. And that's the Champaign-Urbana campus, correct? Correct, yes. Yes, I remember when you left, everybody's like, oh, God, and you were out there with that snow and the cold. <laughs> I know, I know. It was exciting, though, Carlos. I tell you, it's um, I, one of the areas that I oversaw was cultural centers. And so I know you have a deep passion for that. And so it was great learning experience to do that work in the Midwest. And that's a great segue because, again, with our ba- both of our backgrounds in cultural center offices, directors, departments, we didn't deal with as much as we, we are now as far as the activism. There were things I, I remember I went to UC Riverside for undergrad and my activism was when one of the professors didn't get tenure. And we all kind of marched out there and, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. There was like, hey, you know, Professor Murray's going to just not getting tenure. Come on. And I was like, oh, OK. You know, I didn't really think of it as I'm out there, you know, protesting. And but I just knew that she was a good professor. She had earned her stripes and they weren't giving them to her. And so we all, you know, were out there protesting. And that was kind of my first introduction to protesting. Tell us a little bit about your first introduction. Oh gosh, my first introduction actually it started my first year in college and and it was about um, the creation of ethnic studies at Loyola Marymount University. And, you know, I didn't really know too much, I have to say. And um, it was a good cause. I mean, that part I knew, right, in terms of educational opportunity and the rights for all groups to know their histories and for others to know their history and contributions um, in the making of this nation. And so I did that protest and then became pretty active on with both different areas, um, in particular uh, people with disabilities. So I did Special Olympics and, and did that piece and advocacy for that group. And then really, again, it was the Rodney King and the beating the, of Rodney King and the initial acquittal of the men who did it followed by the LA riots that spurred me and my friends and classmates into action. And so we had a protest right on campus. We blocked the entrance of the campus, actually this is years ago, and really learned how to work with administration on taking accountability for our actions, but also making sure that they heard our demands and our issues and concerns. And before I left Uh, During my senior year, there was already courses for African-American studies, but they instituted courses then for Asian-American studies and added more courses for Chicana Latino studies. So now that's, you know, 
fast forward 25 years later, there are actually majors for those programs at Loyola Marymount University. So, you know, it was really the educational equity that got me to become a student activist back in the day. And you're right about educational equity, because all of this kind of, kind of falls in place with the whole fact that students or institutions are now teaching courses on activism. For example, one of my uh, close personal friends, uh, Dr. James Thomas, is over at Cal State LA, and he has a class on protest. It's not called Protest 101, but it's student activism, you know, the title type thing. But each semester, the students come up with all the different examples of what's going on in the world at that time, and the class picks one, and they actually do uh, whatever it takes, writing letters, doing a protest, whatever it takes to stand their ground. That's what happens each semester. So at the beginning, it was more so with the Black Lives Matter, with all the police killings. Now it's <laughs> it's everything from administration to one of the professors was arrested on campus, but she's part of the Black Lives Matter movement and she was arrested. And I can't remember why, but I know that it was a big, and that was earlier this year. So it's like, we know that it's supporting someone and we just do our best. But then how, and you mentioned a little bit in your article, how do we as student affairs professionals support our students with, with their activism? Yeah, you know, several things I think that I think about. You know, one is I think we have a responsibility as professionals to learn about the history of student activism, to understand the why um, that people did it, you know, when I talked, I think, in, in that article I wrote at, at the NASPA uh, Leadership Exchange magazine, it wasn't for student activism, we would not have the right for every person in the United States um, to be able to vote, every citizen, right, and to participate equally in, in the sense of governing for themselves, for example. You know, the students who chose to sit on lunch counters in the 50s and 60s. And potentially, you know, many, some students lost their lives um, going to the South to try to make sure that people get registered to vote. Um, it's important to know those things and to honor that that was done by young people, young students. And then fast forward to our understanding of explaining that to students so that they understand that when you protest, um, when you take a stance, what is it that you're really doing? Because there are choices, right? Um, you could always take a stance because you're mad at the dean or um, you want to get something changed. But does it require a sit-in or maybe you could just have a conversation, right? When do you take that big, that moment to say, I'm going to protest this Versus, you know what, I'm just going to set up a meeting and let's have a discussion and, I'm, and we're both going to listen to each other. And I think that's our responsibility to help students understand the risks and rewards and how that all works. I also think it's important that we as student affairs folks really share with students how institutions make decisions. For example, if you want to change, let's say, the food in your cafeteria, right, more offerings, let's say, for vegan or the types of locally sourced food that you may want or no plastics on campus when it comes to sustainability, right? Who do you talk to to get that done? Is there a, a better and sometimes easier way to get that done? Or is the way really to make picket signs 
in March, right? What is the best way to get what you want done? And I think that's that onus has to be on the student affairs folks to at least engage with the student because there is a risk when students, like for me, when I eventually said, we're going to protest, you miss class, you can alienate yourselves from friends and from some mentors potentially, right? And so instead of having a dialogue, you could potentially put barriers. And sometimes that has to happen, right? Sometimes you have to protest. But I think it's up to us to tell students when that line needs to happen, right? Or at least their their opportunity or their choices to do so. Because I think there's so many things to do before you actually think that that's the only option. Oh, absolutely. And I think to add to your list, when you're saying you're alienating yourself and missing class, also just the pure fact of what is the solution that you want to happen? Like think through the entire piece, like you're saying, you know, you know, first of all, how does the university work? Who do I need to talk to first? So let's use your example of the food change. Okay, let's go to the hospitality manager. And then from there, he or she may say, well, what I need to do is talk with my VP or or my whoever that next step and, and learning what the process is, like you said, first before getting out there and picketing. And then, you know, you're, <laughs> you're out there and you don't even have a purpose. And, and that's this, the other thing, like I said, with purpose and the solutions, like what is the purpose? Why are we doing this? How are we doing this? And then what do we want as an outcome? Um, I would definitely add to your list. Exactly, exactly. Because, I, you know, the other piece, Corliss, that I, I worry about is that the activist students who are so amazingly brilliant, right, in terms of being tactical, because when they take that, sometimes sacrifice, right, the work to do this, they're often the ones that I see fall through the cracks in terms of not finishing, not graduating. And so I think it's up to us to make sure that they're well, that they're healthy. And then again, we tell them, you know, maybe before you take so much of this time that doesn't get you to your own goal of graduating and making a larger impact in the world. How can we work together so that the outcome, exactly what you say, the outcome that you want gets done so that you're not the only one working on it, right? That there are others who are faculty, who are staff, who are administrators to say, we can work with you on doing that. So I I have to tell you, you know, at Harvey Mudd, we have a great group of students who are into sustainability. And this last year, you know, some of the things that they wanted to do, it just took them to have a meeting with the president, a meeting with me. And they got a lot of their outcomes that they wanted done. Um, One of the things that they wanted is to have students have, and everyone to have the opportunity to have water, filtered water at different parts of campus. So maybe we can lessen the use of plastics. And so the president and cabinet agreed that that was actually a good thing. And so just did that. And it was two meetings and they got the outcome that they wanted. The campus is a better place for it. So it's it's a win-win. And I'm sure one of the things that we must do as student affairs uh, professionals is make sure that we're collaborating with other members on the campus. So for example, and you know, I worked at USC for 20 years and one of the things that happened, I can't remember who it was first, because it's been so many when you think about the whole Black Lives Matter movement, but I don't know if you, and you might've been in Illinois, but there was something happened. I can't remember if it was Mike. Uh, I can't breathe or 
Trayvon, but there were people, get this, that took over the 10 freeway. Do you remember hearing about that? Yes, I did. And, and it happened at different parts of the country. I was like, okay, first of all, okay, so people are doing it. This is general public. But of course you saw students with USC t-shirts and sweatshirts on. And I'm like, okay, first of all, we know that the 10, if no one knows, the 10 freeway is the most traveled freeway in the world just in the Southern California area, but it extends from California to Florida. So let's just to give everybody who, who has no clue about that, but it is also one of the busiest. And they came down from the Crenshaw, I believe, entrance or exit for lack of better words, they made it an entrance and they shut down the freeway. And I'm sitting here looking, trying to see if I can figure out what students they were, if I knew them. And I'm like, okay, there's one thing to have a protest but there's one thing called you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to kill yourself. You do not go on, especially the 10. And so when I saw that, I got with our Department of Public Safety and we'd had some other little issues with, you know, the whole law enforcement thing. So I did a collaboration with our cultural centers at USC, uh, which we call Project Remix, what we're dealing with a lot, it started off as interracial pieces with all the different students having a voice and then morphed into the social action piece. But we got together with the, uh, with the university and we said, let's do a protest 101 so that we can teach students the proper way to protest. So you mentioned, you know, don't go take over the president's office. First of all, know what your consequences are going to be because you could be expelled, number one. And number two, what is your outcome? What is it that you want to do and why are you doing it? Don't just get on the bandwagon unless you've done your research. And so what we did, we talked about when an officer approaches you on campus, because it was kind of dual in a sense, when an officer approaches you on campus, be ready to show your ID. It, it usually says it on the back of the ID that you need to surrender your ID upon request of law enforcement or something to that effect, usually. And then the other piece is know that there is a free speech space on campus. Is there one at Harvey Mudd? No, not really. Um, I, I think that we are a campus that looks to um, having our students have free speech. I mean, what you can't do is be disruptive in terms of time, place, or manner, in terms of if, you know, at a, at a classroom lecture, you can't um, disrupt that space. But in terms of students um, wanting to share their thoughts and ideas, you know, the campus is supports that for students, right? And and generally, I think they will probably go to the the I don't know we don't really call it a quad, but the long area between the academic side and residential hall side, probably in front of our dining commons or in front of the dean of students area offices, probably tends to be where. Um, students would, if they need to gather and voice their dissent, um, might be there. But I, I think our campus is, um, adheres to the whole thought that, you know, campuses are a space, and particularly us, right, where the discovery of ideas and concepts is so important. And it's about making the campus safe for ideas, um, and so that, that to me is not the worry of having a quote unquote free, free speech space. The idea of respect for one another and the idea of making sure that work 
continues to be done, that teaching continues to be done, I think is important for Harvey Mudd and other schools that, that I've worked at before. So, yeah. I do know that for other campuses, they tend to, for the issues of safety and security, they will um, determine that a particular space may not fit like the large number of people that they may want to go there to. So they will usher them to another place to have their protests. But we have not had that knock on wood problem at Harvey Mudd since I've been at, on campus. So we'll see. <laughs> so, so you're right. You mentioned time, place and manner. So part of this protest 101 was saying, letting students know, we know you have the right to speak. We want to hear your concerns, you know? So that was the first myth. It was like, you know, students just think, oh, you just don't want to hear us. You know, they always think that part. And we're saying, no, we, we encourage you. We have set up this space for you to, to do uh, whatever it is that you need to do to voice your opinion. But again, like you said, you have to respect the other parts of that. So, for example, if there is a controversial speaker that comes in, you can't sit on the front row with your sign, thus blocking everyone who's there to see him or her. Can you still attend? Absolutely. But we're going to put you in the back because you need to respect the fact that, A, you're, you're disrupting other the view and or disrupting you know the other parts of the audience. But also, we want you to be there. It's, it's not a problem. And the speaker, you know, will see your signs. You can't have cowbells going. You can't be yelling because now you're disrupting, like you said, the time, place, the manner. Or if, if, if you are going to, you know, take over the administration building, you can't block the entrance. You can't block the restrooms. You can't block the offices because it's still a work day and people ought to be able to walk freely from one part of the office down the hall or whatever the case may be to the other. So it's really educating our students to let them know it's okay. We want to hear what you have to say and do it in a respectful manner. Right. And, and you know, the other piece of the whole thing is emotions get so heightened at those moments, right, when the protests are happening. And how do we, as, as the student affairs professionals, check our own emotion and check ourselves. And, and, and it's hard to say, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say right now at this moment, don't take it personal when at the same time, the students that you cared for, that you may have been the one to have just had a one-on-one -on -one meeting or had lunch with is all of a sudden outside your office or outside one of your colleagues' office and yelling. And, you know, it, it's that emotional part of it. And so when the emotions heighten, it's also everyone on all sides, even the, the ones who are just trying to help them manage the situation is trying to figure out where well, you're, you know, the, the trust gets lost sometimes at those moments when the emotions are so heightened. And so instead of us, you know, as we're trying to say, we're just trying to keep everyone safe, right? And kind of make sure that people get to still walk safely to where they need to go. You can still protest on your side. You can still have your protests on the others, counter protests on the other side. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, it's the student affairs professionals caught in the middle getting yelled at by all sides. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. But you know, one of the other things, you know, and I always try to explain to students, I can't hold the sign. I can't march with you, but I'm going to be there. And like you said, we're on the outskirts and letting the students do what they want to do in the sense of, of course, if it's peaceful and everything. But just being there when a student can look over their shoulder and say, oh, there's Corliss, there's Professor Jenkins, there's, you know, Anna. Oh, OK. 
they got our back in the sense of the safety piece, as well as the officers. We don't want the officers all up in the middle of it either because we want the students to feel like they have this freedom of speech. So again, they're on the outskirts, but they're definitely there for the safety. I will tell you, um, and we're, as we're wrapping up, the, of the 20 years, well, my life of student affairs, which is a little bit more than that, but the 20 years that I've been student affairs at USC, the most powerful protests that I've seen were the were the silent protests because you know you don't know you just kind of it just it just amazed me how folks would walk by and just be almost scared because it's different when at least I can hear your anger but when you don't have anything to say you don't know what's going to happen and that was the Jena 6 piece where there were students that stood in front of the student union 20 or 30 at a time and they each you know they started off and all the student did was tap the person's shoulder to let them know they could relieve them or something, or the other person would raise their hand to let the other person know that they had class, and then somebody would go in their place. And they were lined up at four rows of like maybe 10 people or so, and then they had the bandana over their mouth, and their head was bowed, and they just stood there. And I knew it scared some folks to death, because they were like, okay, what are these people of color about to do? Why are they standing there? They had on black t-shirts, black jeans, or some type of jean, and then the bandana was covering their mouth because they were silenced. And I mean, it made the front of the uh, Daily Trojan, and and it was just so powerful. It's just like, we don't have nothing to say because they were silenced, we're silenced. And I mean, whoa, you know, that was just my thought, like, whoa, this is deep. And I was so proud of them because I, I was there, you know, outside, had my lunch out there, just being there so they could see me. But it was just the way they had it where they would tap the next person to give them a break. Or when that hand went up, it would be somebody to take that same spot so that that person could go to class. So like you were saying, you're not missing class. You're not disrupting. You're not you know, doing anything that would get you arrested. You're respecting the space. So that was one. And then the mo- more recent one, I want to say, was Trayvon. Students wore their hoodie. And they and I know you've been to USC before. The Tommy Trojan space there yes, is, yes. is the big free speech space. And the students laid on the ground with their hoodies on and had a bag of Skittles on the next to them or on their chest or something so that you knew what what it was about. Because, you know, it was all about him going to get some Skittles and a Snapple or something, right? Coming coming home from the liquor store or whatever, getting that at the store. And it was at least 100 plus students. And Anna, I came down to go to a meeting in another building and I, I just stopped. I said, now, whoa. What, you know, and they were just laying there. It was the most intriguing situation because it wasn't just black students. It wasn't just Asian, Latino. It was all students who cared. There was even some staff people out there. There was a professor out there. It also made the front page, I believe, of the, of the Daily Trojan. But again, sometimes those quiet, peaceful, silent movements say so much. And then there were signs that were on, you know, on around. I think it was for both actually, because there was some signs about, I can't breathe with the Michael Eric, Michael Garner. I mean, but that to me, like just said it all without saying a word. And I appreciated that in the sense that the students really took the time to Think about the impact that that would make. And that's where we're about student affairs and teaching them, like you said earlier, you know, what is the change? What are you trying to do? What is the solution? How are you going to go about doing it? Can we just do it with a simple conversation, you know, through the student government, inviting whomever to the student government meeting 
Or is it something that we just want to take a stance and we're just going to lay out on the sidewalk until it's time for me to go to class? Right. Yeah. And I think that's the important part. The other piece that I love when you were talking about that is the multiracial cross-cultural collaboration that happened in in these pieces and in the students protest culture that I think has been happening more and more I mean I think that was there but even now um, you know when you see that when you see that there's education happening in students understanding different issues that it may not be someone who looks like them or from their same background but somehow it impacts their lives as well and so they're going to be in support. They're going to be in allyship with others because it, it takes literally villages to to make any of these changes that our students want, you know. And, you know, again, as student affairs professionals, as we walk that tightrope and that line in terms of our role is to keep our students continuing to be learners and to be educated and to be safe and physically safe and, and emotionally, you know, as they take on these um, these actions when they decide to do it. Because sometimes I think there is the temptation for us to want to do that. And I always tell, you know, all professionals, you know, we had our time and you can do that on your own time. But when we're working, we, we are working because our eye is on our students to make sure that they're safe and that they're taken care of, and that they're having this learning opportunity. No, absolutely. And one last thing, and we're definitely running out of time, but you mentioned the L.A. riots, or that some people call it the uprising. And to think that that was 27 years ago. Yes. And I think that's always been, when we talk about riots or protests, in a sense, because that that was really more of a riot than it was a protest, because, yeah. you know, you, you think of a protest as a, you know, carefully orchestrated situation where that was just we just erupted. You know, it was that was the scariest thing I'd ever been through in my life. And I wasn't in student affairs. I was a middle school teacher at the time teaching on Crenshaw off of Jefferson. Oh. And didn't have a cell phone, you know, the, the beeper piece wasn't wasn't happening in 92 for me. And my mom called the wow. school and the principal came and got me and she said, your mom is on the phone. And I said, okay. And she's like, where are you? I mean, I know you're there. Get out of there because there's, a, there's something happening on Florence and, and Normandy and you need to come here as soon as possible. And I was like, oh my God. And so of course we turned on the TV because we didn't know. And so I get to my mom's house and I'm watching everything erupt and it was just crazy. And I think when we talk about protests, uprising, riots, I think that ha that has become the learning piece. You know, this is what you don't want to do. There are ways to be heard with your, your, your student government, your city government, your state government, the government. There are ways to do it in a, in a respectful manner because the, the, the riots just was a loss of great money. Lives were lost, buildings, just, it was just, it was the scariest thing ever driving down La Brea to get to my apartment in, at that time in Inglewood and fires on both sides of the streets like uh, different like liquor stores and furniture stores were up in flames. And I'm just like, I thought I was in a Rambo m movie. It was definitely one of those moments. You know, I, I think about um, how different people express themselves to make change, right? Because protest is about making ultimately uprisings. It's about making change or expressing your voice in, in different ways or actions. And, you know, as my final thing, when I, when I wrote that article and, and I did use some examples and I, I did really think of, of, of the, the counters and the, the college students going back to, you know, the 50s and 60s and um, of, of, of making these changes as students using their education um, right at the forefront. And, 
you know, I think now more and more young people, I'm hoping, will use their voice and use the power of the vote as their ultimate way to signify or signal change and make their protests and make their voices be heard through voting, through, through impacting um, that kind of change, whether, they care, whether it's about issues of, of the left or the right, sustainability, civil rights, equity for all, women's rights, you know, all of these issues. I think if we in student affairs and higher ed can say there's different ways to protest, this is a significant way is to understand how your government, your city, your state works and use your power, which is your vote, is your voice. And that right there is a perfect way to end today's podcast. If you could just quickly give me two points that you would say to kind of, and and actually you did kind of sum it up, just being able to respect the situation, respect the voice, know that you have power in your voice, and but it's about how you protest. Exactly. And it's about relationships matter. And so let's see if we can work together, give your institutions a chance to do what's right and understand people's different perspectives and, um, and work together. And, if, and then if all else fails, then make sure that if you choose to, to make a protest or an act, that you keep yourself and other people safe and that you don't lose the message of the final outcome that you really want to have. Absolutely. Well, Miss Anna, thank you for so much for joining us today. If you found value in what you've heard, please share the podcast with other student affairs practitioners. The podcast is released every Thursday morning. I look forward to you joining us next time as we share practical tips to aid in your own student affairs journey. So thank you, Anna, so much. And everyone have a great day or evening. Thanks for listening to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. If you enjoyed your time with us, tell a friend. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. If you want to be a guest, tell us your story. Email us at savoices at naspa.org. You can find all our info at naspa.org slash savoices. See you next time.